Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. we got a lot of directions to go in on this episode following a Monday edition of the podcast, which uh, followed our very first James Franklin Monday press conference. If you missed that, press conferences are now Monday versus Tuesday. So our podcast layout looked a little bit different yesterday. We kind of combined two shows into one in our normal format. Did a lot of recap from the Maryland matchup, a 51-15 victory, a lot of positives and momentum coming out of that, confidence-inducing victory, heading into a very challenging week here against Michigan. We started to turn the tables, looked at the significance of this matchup, uh, and some of the storylines surrounding Penn State heading into game week uh, number 10 here on the season. Uh, we did that yesterday, so if you missed it, head over, check out our Monday podcast. We're going to get to a bunch of recruiting conversation here later on. Tyler Calvaruso will join us, a big recruiting win for the Penn State basketball program and their new staff on Monday night, timing up pretty well with their season opening win. We'll talk about that edition and we'll get into a bunch on the guest list that is growing by the moment for the Michigan matchup. A noon kickoff on a Saturday can make things a little bit difficult for, for recruits getting to campus, especially from beyond the region, but a really impressive group is, is coming together here. And Tyler Calvaruso will spotlight a few of those, including a recent offer at the quarterback position that's certainly intriguing here in the state of Pennsylvania. But we begin with focus on the unbeaten Wolverines. Michigan comes to town uh, undefeated, but also under investigation. One of the more Remarkable stories that we've witnessed in our lifetime, at least from my 35-year-old vantage point in the middle of a college football season. And, and now we're front and center with it, focused uh, on it with Zach Shaw, who covers the Wolverines uh, for 24-7 sports. He's been on this uh, show quite a bit uh, in, in past years, previewing this matchup. But this is different than those previous conversations. Yeah. The fact remains that Michigan's in pursuit of a third consecutive Big Ten title. The fact remains that they have not lost in the regular season since October 2021 when they fell to Michigan State. But the fact also remains that there's not a lot of football chat about this matchup in Ann Arbor right now. It's focused on the sign-stealing investigation that's ongoing. And depending on who your source is for information, you may have a very different viewpoint of what's happening right now in Michigan. Zach, I'm going to trust your information right now. I'm not asking you to break down the details of, of, of this scandal that's breaking. A lot of other people are trying to do that. But can you just tell us the scope of how it may be impacting the football program, preparing to play 60 minutes of football in Beaver Stadium on Saturday afternoon? Yeah, I think so far the players have been saying all the right things in terms of this not affecting them. And they've, they've brought up good points because, you know, they still have to play their games. They're not going to change the score. They're not going to, you know, suspend players necessarily. I mean, we'll see. I guess what the Big Ten comes up with, but most of the focus seems to be on Harbaugh. And Jim Harbaugh came out and said it Monday. He said, "If the attention's on me, if the if all this stuff is on me and not my players, not my family, um, you know, he's okay with that." And so I think you know the players, they're focused, and we've tried to ask them, uh, you know, do you get extra motivation? Does it feel like extra? Um, I guess like does it fire you up a little bit that they're saying that you only won because of this or that you're only good because of that? Um, they've said the right things in terms of not, you know, necessarily buying into it. And their their reasoning has been sound. You know, their motivation was already really high because they're trying to win a national championship. They're trying to win a third straight Big Ten title. So uh, but at the same time, you know, Harbaugh's hinted a couple times. You know, He called it a priceless gift for players like this to, to question them, to, to question how they're good, why they're good, their merits. Um, so I think. You know, player-wise, I think they're motivated. I think that they're they're hungry. And I think more importantly, I think, you know, the schedule, I, I, we've never seen a schedule where it really went from like zero to 100 like this, where, and, you know, Penn State had Ohio State early in the season, but it's a similar deal where the Big Ten, there's no like, 
top 25-ish team, right? You're either top 10 or you're hmm. like outside the top 50. And so it's created a really interesting dynamic where um, I'm sure Penn State fans have a similar thought where they, they blew out Maryland. They, they showed a lot of really good things, but there's also kind of the like, well, is this team any good? Is Maryland any good? <laughs> like, you know, is, and, and so Michigan's had the same thing all year. I mean, it's, it's cool to blow out Nebraska or Minnesota or um, Indiana or Purdue or whoever, but you also are kind of like, well, none of it matters if you lose to Ohio State and Penn State. I mean, then you're, you know, barely in the New Year's Six. So, yeah, I think eventually I think the fans will get really excited. I think the, you know, it's, it's funny how now, like, now the, the national stories are kind of going the other way. <laughs> Obviously, Michigan's trying to, like, subtly fight back against some of the claims. And so um, it's been... It's been a real, you know, dramatic. It's like a roller coaster, right? And and so one day you'll be fans will be up, one day they'll be down. But I think at the end of the day, I mean, last Saturday fans were just excited to watch football again, and the team looked pretty good again. So I think eventually the focus will turn to the game. But yeah, it's been uh, it's been crazy. I think the big question for this matchup is, you know, there's a lot of rumor that the Big Ten might suspend Jim Harbaugh. Well, one, do they actually go through with that? And then two. Does that include the Penn State game? Because I I know Jim Harbaugh loves his assistant coaches. A lot of them have turned down head coaching jobs or NFL jobs um, to try to win a national title this season. But at the same time, you know Michigan is good in large part because of Jim Harbaugh. So if he's not on that sideline in what I think is the toughest atmosphere, what I think could be you know a top three defense in the country, um, suddenly that's a that's going to be another challenge that Michigan adds to its plate right they, they've got a lot going on this week um and so i think that's that's probably the biggest question about the scandal toward this week's matchup but you know players saying the right things and, and so far i mean don't forget there was a suspension earlier in the season they've been under a different ncaa investigation you know they were um, preseason big 10 favorites jim harbaugh's been you know one year he was in the hot seat the other year he was like rumored to be going to the nfl so i think this team you know, you're not going to make it to the starting lineup at Michigan if you can't kind of handle some of the the scrutiny, the microscope, um, the magnifying glass that you're put under. So I, I do think, you know, this is a pretty veteran team. I think this team kind of knows how to weather some of the storms, even if they weren't this big. You know, at least they're not blindsided and, and you know, suddenly have no idea what to do. It does feel like a veteran team, mature team that um, knows how at the end of the day, you know, it's not going to what's going to matter to them in the long run, it's how they perform on Saturday, not what they think of this rumor or what they think of that rumor. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate you laying it out like that for us there over a span of a few minutes. I think we'll kind of leave it at that. I won't ask you much more about the sign stealing investigation because I know everyone on your message board right now wants to know about that. And that's probably all you're getting peppered with, but let's talk about the matchup because one way or another, the countdown clock is going to keep ticking no matter what services between now, Tuesday afternoon and, and noon on Saturday, that football game is going to be played unless something really crazy happens. That football yeah. game is going to be played. And these two teams are, are going to come out the other side of it in very different situations in terms of the college football playoff, in terms of the Big Ten hierarchy. And you talked about uh, Michigan, you know, working their way to 9-0. and And I, I look back through their season. It, it, the line that when I checked last on, on Sunday night was, was a five-point spread. It was in favor of the Wolverines, of course. But through the first nine matchups, Michigan hadn't faced a spread that was more narrow than 17-and-a-half, I think. Um, and which was a road trip to Nebraska that they won handedly. So I'm going to ask you a question that we all kind of had when this team went to, out to Ohio State, and many of us, including me, picked them to beat Ohio State 
It was certainly their biggest challenge to that point at 6-0. What are you wondering about at 9-0? What do you still not have answers on that, that you need to see get checked off the list this Saturday? And I know that the, the matchup against Ohio State always looms large, but this is going to peel back the curtain, I'd imagine, for a lot of Michigan reporters and, and kind of answering some of those questions that maybe you've harbored since last January. Yeah, I think, you know, one thing that that helps in terms of knowing what this team is, is so many players are back from last season. Um, you know, I think it's 17 starters. I think they entered the season with more than 30 players with at least four starts in their careers. So it's it's a very veteran team. I mean, J.J. McCarthy, Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, Roman Wilson, these are all players who have uh, not only played not only played last year, but played at Penn State the year before. So I think there's, you know, a lot of players with experience. Um, so you kind of, I don't, I don't have questions about how they'll handle the road environment because they won at Ohio State last year. They seem to handle the Nebraska. You know, they always sell out. They seem to handle that fine. Uh, you know, I think the big question is just like what happens when you actually have to like keep fighting. You know, it seems like Michigan's been able to um, really take their foot off the gas in just about every matchup. Prior to Saturday, JJ McCarthy only had four fourth quarter pass attempts. Blake Corum mm. only had four fourth quarter carries all season in the first eight games. And I don't think they had a ton in the fourth quarter against Purdue either. So, you know, I think that's, that's the question, right? You know, what does this team um, do when, when suddenly a team punches back, right? Right. Everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth and, and Michigan hasn't been punched in the mouth this season, at, at least on the field. Right. And so, yeah, I think, you know, knowing, okay, JJ McCarthy, great passer, great passing game. Every, guys seem really open all the time. Seems like they're able to hit this stuff. What happens if a guy's not open? What happens if he throws a pick six, for example, like at, at, against TCU? You know, what does the bounce back look like? The run game, I don't think Blake Corum's had more than 18 carries in a game this season. And Donovan Edwards, I don't know if he's had more than 10. So, you know, what, is, what does it look like when they actually have to, like, really establish a ground game? Can they really establish a ground game? The numbers are much lower than last season, much lower than people expected. So... You know, I, I'm a little bit more curious about the offense. I think the defense, I mean, it just seems like a very complete, um, you know, they don't have the turnover sack numbers that Penn State has, but I think they, they're really good about just not giving up big plays. They're great on third downs, um, you know, pass defense, run defense. Like there's a very great orchestra of pressure and coverage and, um, you know, running, you know, you know, fill gaps and, you know, uh, generating, I guess, strength up front. So I feel like the defense is going to hold its own. I think the bigger question is the offense. How do you handle louder environment? How do you handle defense that doesn't need to like pick their poison, right? They're good at both stopping the run and the pass. So I think uh, that's really the curiosity is, is the passing numbers are for Michigan are great, especially the efficiency numbers. Um, you know, the run game hasn't really been asked to do much this season. What happens when you do need all hands on deck? What happens if you have, 10 points at halftime and you're down by seven, you know, do, do you have that, that comeback ability? Do you have that fourth quarter? Can your offensive line hang on for all those snaps and, and can you sustain enough drives to really control the game? You mentioned that pass efficiency that Michigan's bringing with JJ McCarthy leading the way there. They're at 75% overall completion rate as a team to this point in the season. As you said, McCarthy didn't, you know, he's tucked away for a lot of those fourth quarters 
Maryland is next up in the Big Ten at 65%. So that's a 10-point percentage gap uh, in, in Michigan completing passes to their targets uh, versus everyone else in the Big Ten. But you mentioned maybe the, the ground game has, has some things to prove here at Penn State against the, uh, the currently the number one ranked uh, rush defense in, in the Big Ten. Last year, though, it was a nightmare. It was 400-plus rushing yards surrendered in Ann Arbor. It was one of those, let's go back to State College, look in the mirror, had some hard, hard conversations, maybe scream and yell a little bit and see how we come out the other side. And to Penn State's credit, their defense really look has looked buttoned up for the rest of the way. Um, and, and falling into this season with Manny Diaz, with very few exceptions. But we know that now they're on the doorstep of the Michigan matchup. You know, James Franklin was asked Monday several times about how his run defense is going to hold up. And he's talking about how they're deeper and larger at the defensive tackle position. They're more experienced at the linebacker position than they were on the last trip. But tell us how what Michigan looks like from a ground game perspective versus where they were in October 2022 when they just took Penn State out back and beat them down on the ground. Yeah, I, they haven't run for 418 yards this, in a game this year, so that's they don't they don't necessarily have that. They haven't shown that yet. I think there is a sense. So for some context, Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards were the two running backs last season. They're back this year, but they missed all of spring due to offseason operations, and then they missed a decent amount of the summer. And Donovan Edwards was banged up a little bit in the fall too. So I think you know Michigan has been. I don't want to speak for them, but I feel like they've been very cautious with like what they're asking those two to do. They haven't had to carry the ball a lot. And generally when it's like a, you know, when you know it's going to be a dog pile, it seems like they've gone with different running backs, you know, Kalel Mulling, some of their backup backs. And um, so, and then the offensive line had three players playing either new positions or on a new team. They had two transfers come in and one guy switched sides. So, you know, I think it's, it's interesting. Cause I, I, to me, once you get to week nine, you are who you are. All right. I, I'm kind of, you know, a lot of people are like, I don't think they've shown everything yet. I don't think they've shown the whole playbook, but I'm like, well, compared to last season, because they did have games last season where they, I think they ran for like 170 yards against Iowa, which wasn't that much. And then the Penn State game, it did seem like they kind of cranked it up another gear. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if there are some plays that they've hung on to for the Penn State and Ohio State matchups. But at the same time, I mean, even against Purdue, they weren't able to just bury opposing defenses with their run game. And a lot of times this season, you know, even though they run more than they pass, it does feel like the pass game has been more effective. So, you know, I think the big question is, was that because teams were scheming to stop the run and like sending extra safeties down or extra linebackers in to try to stop the run and dare Michigan to throw, or is that teams figuring out Michigan's run scheme? Cause this is year three of this Sharon Moore run game. And I'm a big believer that by year three, you know, that's when defensive coordinators either need to innovate or people are going to catch up and figure out what you do, especially your your division rivals. I mean, who's going to know Michigan's playbook better than Penn State and Ohio State? So, um, you know, I think this that is like the big question for me is, is the run game holding back? Are they just kind of like waiting for a moment like this or have teams started to catch on because. However you look at it, the numbers just aren't there. The big plays aren't there. The first down rate's a little bit lower than last season. The the yards, yards per carry. I mean, pretty much every way you measure it, this has not been the run game of last season. And that'll be that might be the biggest question Michigan has to answer on Saturday. Yeah. Because if the run game looks anything like it did last year, hard not to think Michigan can can very much win this matchup. But if it's Maybe like, uh, what was it, 2021, they didn't run the ball super well against Penn State, and that was a nail-biter to the very end. So that was that was a game Michigan 
uh, was kind of lucky to win. If you think about it, think about that Eric all play in the final minute or whatever. So um, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting because we just have not seen the run game dominate a game this season. They've been effective at times. They've had good moments. Blake Corum leads the country in rushing touchdowns, but they haven't, you know, put their foot on the gas and just dominate an opponent yet this year. And meanwhile, outside of, you know, a few different possessions here and there over the course of this season, we just haven't seen Penn State get run on, you know, with any kind of consistency, um, you know, aside from a splash play here or there. And, and those have been few and far between. And I, I was just looking through the stat sheet here while we're on the subject of, of, Penn, of uh, Michigan's ground game. Donovan Edwards was at about 180 rushing yards in that Penn State game last year alone. He's at 230 right now on the season. He's averaging 3.1 yards per carry. We, we've been wondering what's going on with Nick Singleton. And uh, in terms of his season, he's at four yards per carry. He was at six and a half yards per carry last year. But if memory serves me right, we're talking about a, a guy that Donovan Edwards, who was at seven and a half yards per rush last season and then having a bunch of big games piled up in Big Ten play. So are you to the point now in Ann Arbor, kind of like we are in State College, where you really can't rely on? 2022 version of this running back and if it happens here late down the stretch then all of a sudden it's more of a luxury than than something that you can hang your hat on I think so I mean he they have been using him more as a receiver I mean his receiving stats are up I would imagine he's among the best in the country in terms of running back receiving yards he might he might have more running back receiving yards than rushing yards actually but but regardless they have been using him a little bit differently and and I will say last season he I think it was like 7.1 yards per carry that he averaged but when you run for an 85-yard run against Ohio State and a 75-yard run, like he had a lot of like 60-plus yard runs that were great, but that that doesn't necessarily speak to his down-to-down consistency. I think Blake Corum was much more of the the chain-moving running back, and Donovan Edwards was the hey, here's a wide open hole, and I took it for 70 yards. So, so I do think he was still trying to learn to be. You know, we talk about home run running backs. He was a home run guy. And I think he's, he was still trying to learn to hit singles and doubles more consistently. Uh, this year, I, I don't know if it's injury. I don't know if it's, you know, technique. I don't know what it is, but he has just not been effective as, as a runner very often. So, yeah, I, I'm to your question, I don't think that they're counting on him. They're not thinking that he's going to run for 100 yards in this game. I think that the goal would be maybe 100 all-purpose yards, you know, catching some mm-hmm. passes because he's a great receiver. I think he'd be – if he just played receiver full time, he'd be either Michigan's first or second best wide receiver. I mean, there are NFL scouts that think they might move him to wide receiver. So, um, you know, he can be effective as a as a playmaker uh, in multiple different ways. But, but yeah, it's it's been interesting because he just it's it's not just that his numbers are lower. It's like you just watch it and you're like, he is just not getting past these tacklers. And and it almost want, you almost start to wonder if it's his vision because you know, Michigan will run the same play with Corum and Edwards. And for some reason for Corum, it looks way more open than it does for Edwards. And that's not the offensive lineman playing favorites. That might be vision. That might be the timing. So, you know, I think he's still trying to, to sort some of that out. I know he's, um, he, he's aware of it too. He's very aware of his stats and his, I mean, he's very determined to, to finish the season strong, but, but yeah, it's been a little bit of a mystery and, I think that's why J.J. McCarthy's in the passing stats look so good is that they haven't been able – some some years, Michigan, when they go up by 15 points, they just run the ball 80% of the time the rest of the way. They haven't really done that. And I think that's good because they don't want to wear their running backs out. But at the same time, you know, against Penn State, you're not just going to throw for 339 yards like you did against Purdue. 
I would assume Penn State's going to pick off some of those passes. They're going to get some sacks. They're going to force some incompletions. So you do need to be balanced in this game to, to have a chance. And uh, Corum has, has looked v- good most of this season. Edwards has not. So, yeah, that is yeah. a... Uh, that's that's a pretty big distinction and something that that may play a role in Saturday's game. Interesting. There's some parallels on on both teams. Former five star running backs, in state guys who were pretty lauded. You know, came in and, and had big moments early, and and now trying to find their way here in 2023. And if one of these guys, Singleton Edwards, you know, can, can pop up and deliver that kind of a throwback performance with the rushing effort in this game. Boy, could that really tilt the balance potentially if one of those guys is able to step up and deliver. Um, looking beyond that and beyond the quarterback play, because you've, you've done it well with J.J. McCarthy, before I ask you for your, your prediction and, and ultimately what you think about uh, how this one plays out on Saturday, who are the game wreckers for Michigan beyond that backfield? We can talk about some offensive guys. You can certainly point to the defenders. Who are guys who, if this one's hanging in the balance and we're in the final five minutes where Penn State fans should be on high alert for these names? Yeah, I think on offense, I think the secret weapon is the tight ends. You know, and you saw it a little bit against, if you go look at the Michigan, Michigan State box score, I mean, they had tight ends, they almost combined for 200 yards, uh, you know, and, and they didn't, hadn't necessarily done that all season. But Colston Loveland, I think Michigan believes he can be a top 100 pick when his time comes. And then A.J. Barner, a transfer from Indiana, very good blocker. And then suddenly out of nowhere, he was making big plays. He's kind of that bigger body tight end. Um, so I think that can really make a difference because everyone's going to know who Roman Wilson is. Everyone's going to know who Blake Corum, JJ McCarthy are, but I think the tight ends, you know, that's, that's where it, it becomes difficult for defenses. It's like, you know, what kind of personnel do you run? What kind of scheme do you run? Just because they have outside guys, they have slot guys, they have running backs, um, and they're all threats when they're throwing the ball. So, um, you know, that's on offense on defense. You know, I think the the big difference maker between Michigan and other Big Ten teams the past couple of years has been that defensive line. It went from early on in Harbaugh's tenure it was a lot of like 290 pound guys, you know, kind of um, you know, good but not great defensive tackles, and then they started to get really big and really um, uh, physically gifted at the, in that defensive line. You know, thinking about the the athletic, they do that freaks list. Feels like mm-hmm. a defensive tackle is on that list every year for Michigan, and this year there were two. Uh, Chris Jenkins and and uh, Kenneth Grant and Mason Graham maybe maybe he doesn't have the testing numbers but he's he's pretty freaky on the field so I think that's like a that's a big difference maker because the edge room is kind of going through a rebuilding year a little bit they wouldn't say so but I would um, you know linebackers I think are good very efficient tacklers but they're not as disruptive as like Penn State's linebackers in terms of sacks tackles for loss pass breakups. Um, you know, and then I think the secondary secondary is very good, actually. I shouldn't no critiques there, but but uh, you know, I think that defensive front allows them to force a lot of third and longs because they're going to stop pretty much every run up the middle. Um, and I think it allows them to generate some some subtle pressure that opens things up elsewhere. You know, when a linebacker comes and blitzes unblocked, well, that's because the three guys on the interior were able to eat up you know a lot of blockers. So. Um, you know, I think I think if if Michigan's defense has a field day on on Saturday, I'm almost certain every play will start with those defensive tackles, either providing pressure or, you know, just controlling the line of scrimmage. And I, I feel like Penn State's talked about that a little bit is I feel like the past couple years, that game has been decided a little bit in the trenches and that's been in Michigan's favor. Um, so I think that'll I assume that'll be a challenge for Penn State is, you know, how do you handle these? 
three 320 pounders who have really good athleticism run sub five 40 yard dashes and, and just can, can move the line of scrimmage really quickly. That's a big question. That's a big question in the trenches a couple of years ago in Beaver stadium, Penn state surrendered seven sacks in a very close loss last year. They were bullied on both sides of the ball up front and Michigan's going to bring the number one scoring defense, the number one scoring offense and among big 10 teams averaging about 41 points per game. And they're giving up fewer than seven points uh, per contest to this point. And, and just to look at those uh, touchdown production makers, Blake Corum, 16 touchdowns on the ground and then Roman Wilson, 10 touchdowns through the air, both of them individually leading uh, the Big Ten, and there was respective outputs. All right, it's time for, your, uh, if you're ready to serve it up, uh, how you feel this one's going to go out uh, and, and between those you know, three, three and a half hours of, of football that I'm sure you're excited to kind of get a reprieve from everything else from and, and watch some actual football. Uh, what do you think you're going to see? What do you have for a final score here on a Tuesday afternoon? Yeah, I always love the the Penn State trip, man. It's it's so cool. I think it's I think it's the coolest atmosphere. Yeah, LSU might have an argument, but I think it's a top five atmosphere in college football. And it's it always gives me chills, you know, when that press box is shaking and they, they it really doesn't it will stop be. later in the game, <laughs> right? Especially against a Michigan, Ohio State, right? You know, some teams maybe uh, fans just get bored or whatever, but not not in these games. So it's always a a really fun one. I think. Um, I think Michigan is ready, though. I do think that this is this is the team. You know, if I think about like the veterans, the the players who came back. I mean, I had three guys that I I had heard from scouts would be top 100 picks come back, and and a lot of guys who could have been drafted decided to come back. They had transfers come in, so I think this team just has the depth, has the the balance. You know, there really isn't a position group uh, that that is struggling this season. So. You know, I do think Michigan is just a little bit more complete than Penn State, at least from what I've been able to tell. Um, granted, Michigan has not played anyone who would expose a weakness, but but at the same time, just the way it lines up, I think this is Michigan's game. I, I think it'll be lower scoring, though. I, I'm get, I think, you know, if I'm going off the top of my head right now, probably like a 27 to 23 type game. Uh, I've got Michigan going on the road and winning. Uh, they've, they've shown the past two years to me that this is a team that, that embraces the road atmosphere that knows how to handle it. Um, obviously a lot of stuff going on off the field, but on the field, this is a, this is a really good team. I think this is a team that uh, can stay on its mission, even with everything else going on. Zach Shaw covers Michigan Wolverines for 24-7 Sports. It's going to be great to see you here on campus in just a matter of days. I hope you can survive the next few, whatever surfaces between now and then, and then we'll have uh, some things to catch up on, I'd imagine, away from the microphones in that press box on Saturday. Thank you, man. I appreciate the perspective. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Let's jump over to Penn State recruiting, and we're going to talk about a couple sports there because Penn State basketball had a big pickup on Monday night. We got a lot to get into in terms of this Michigan matchup and what it means for recruits coming to town and to Beaver Stadium. And to help us dive into all that and more, Tyler Calvaruso returns to the Lions 24-7 podcast. We just had a great breakdown there about what we're looking ahead to from a football perspective on Saturday. But when we have these kind of marquee matchups come to town, you have a recruiting showcase as well, Tyler. Um, tease us a little bit before we talk about the basketball one, because I know folks are chomping at the bit for information about what Penn State has brewing for football recruiting this weekend. What a kind of a collection of prospects are we looking at? We know they picked up the loss against Ohio State. We know it's a noon kickoff, which isn't ideal for bringing uh, recruits to campus. But how do you see this one shaping up from that angle? 
I see it as a high-quality weekend for Penn State on the visitor front. You know, it might not necessarily be the monster recruiting weekend we originally anticipated. Some of that has to do with the noon kickoff, which is always a hindrance when it comes to getting guys to campus. You know, Penn State last year when they played Ohio State at noon at home, that looked like it was going to be a big recruiting weekend. Some guys just wound up not making it because of the relative inconvenience of a noon kickoff. So that's always a factor that you have to take into account with these early games. I still think it's going to be a pretty good weekend for Penn State on the visitor front and the recruiting front, though. They're getting a lot of priority targets across multiple classes on campus. And really, I mean, Penn State only has two chances left at this this season. You got Michigan this weekend and Rutgers next weekend. The Michigan weekend is going to be a bigger weekend than the Rutgers weekend. You know, it kind of swells in comparison to Rutgers when it comes to intrigue. And granted, Rutgers is playing a much better brand of football this season. You know, that being a regional matchup, there are going to be some regional prospects expected in town. But this Michigan matchup, man, it's a big one, and that's not lost on recruits. So you're going to see a pretty solid visitors list coming out of this weekend, one that is evolving as the week goes on as usual. You know, we're sitting here talking on Tuesday. I always say when we put out these lists early in the week on the site, it's going to grow exponentially between now and kickoff, and that is going to be the case with this list. Yeah, we'll dive into some of those headline names in just a bit here uh, while you're with us. But let's go back to, as I referenced, a big pickup for the Penn State basketball program, timing out with their season tip-off on Monday night. They beat Delaware State in the BJC 79-45. Uh, to 45. Uh, They've got a nice non-conference slate of tune-up games before the Big Ten uh, action gets underway. And Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallon gave us a nice basketball season preview on our Monday episode of the podcast toward the end. I'd suggest you go check that out if you want to learn more about the new era that is underway. But Obviously, it's important that they accrue some talent here. You can't lean on the transfer portal, which they really had to do to reshape this roster here in the immediate. But now I think the focus is on developing your own talent starting in 2024. And a huge pickup here, four-star composite center from across the country, a Washington native who plays high school ball in California, Miles Goodman. What can you tell us about this uh, commitment that came through on Monday evening? Heck of a day for the beginning of the Mike Rhodes era because this was a pretty significant get for Penn State, really for multiple reasons, the way I'm looking at it. First off, Miles Goodman is a pretty intriguing talent. He's a big man who can move, you know, pretty solid on the athletic front. Got solid length standing at six foot ten. He's garnered a lot of praise from our national team. It seems like he's a guy who keeps really getting better just throughout his development. It seems like his development has not been stagnant in the slightest aspects of his game has continued to improve really throughout AAU season. You know, the fall circuit, Southern California Academy, participating in some early showcases. It looked like he has seen better out there. And then as his senior season progresses, people I've talked to, they expect even further leaps from Miles Goodman. I think that speaks to kind of the ceiling here. I mean, Rhodes going out and getting this one done with Goodman picking Penn State over Washington. Goodman grew up very close to Washington's campus. And Washington, I believe it was 15 to 20 minutes away from the University of Washington. And Mike Hopkins and that staff out there, they were involved with Goodman essentially before any other program. <laughs> Definitely long before Mike Rhodes even had being the head coach at Penn State on his radar. So I think that speaks to the ability of the staff to come in, build a relationship in a relatively short period of time. Granted, this one didn't necessarily come together quickly. It played out over the span of a couple months. But Penn State coming in later than most of the other competition for Miles Goodman getting that relationship where it needed to be the relationship with Rhodes and relationship between Goodman and assistant coach Brent Scott as well. Goodman will be doing a lot of work with coach Scott when he makes it to campus, giving Scott's work with the bigs. And I think just, you know, 
going out and getting this done so early in the cycle on the eve of game one, it, I, I think it speaks to what Rhodes might be able to accomplish on the recruiting trail if the wins you know, eventually start to come. And I think they will at some point. I think that this is a significant get on that front. I think it's a statement get. And then when you look at, you mentioned high, developing your own talent and developing high school talent. This is the first high school big that Rhodes has landed since arriving at Penn State during the offseason, you know, him arriving late, didn't really get the chance to do so during that 2023 cycle. He addressed the position or the position in the transfer portal, right? Now he's circling the high school front. Goodman's a great place to start. And it's funny, we had a we had a comment on the Miles Goodman article about, you know, does it in that always in Jess post, does he help us beat Ohio State? And I know that post was made <laughs> yeah. as a joke, but hey, the thing is this, right? If you can get a stable of bigs. With the ceiling and the skill set of Miles Goodman, I think you are trending towards competing with the likes of Ohio State and programs like that consistently in the Big Ten. Now, is Miles Goodman, you know, a sure thing? Is he going to come in and dominate right off the bat? No, he's got to develop. But if you can go out and get guys with that kind of potential and who have that kind of frame and have something that you can build on, that you know you can build on as a staff, I think it puts the Nittany Lions in a pretty good place moving forward. And also, before we you know, kind of shift the conversation, Dominic Stewart, the Penn State commit, deserves a pretty big assist for this get. Dom Stewart was not pushy by any means with Miles Goodman, but he made it clear that Rhodes and his staff have something going on now that the two are teammates out of Southern California Academy. So he was in his ear throughout this process in a good way, and it wound up going in Penn State's favor. So Stewart picks up an assist before ever suiting up for the Nittany Lions. That's pretty impressive on him. And guess what? You get to go home. You get to play UCLA and USC yep. as a member of the Penn State Nittany Lions, even though that's not home for, for a, a Seattle kid. But obviously, they're playing high school ball in Southern Cal right now. I'm um, going to be trading in those uniforms for Penn State once come 2024. And the third member of that class, also from out of the region, uh, Javen Carter down in Alcoa, Tennessee, uh, a, a shooting guard in this class. And Goodman, the highest ranked of the bunch. He's a four-star composite, like we said. Top uh, top 20 center overall, and he's a guy that if you read the scouting report and the evaluation that's up on 24-7 Sports right now from our national basketball team, which they do a great job. We don't talk about that much yeah, here on the podcast, but they cover basketball recruiting tremendously. They say really an opposing force on the glass, major defensive presence, and then everything with the offensive game you kind of categorize as, as budding right now which you'll take that especially at that center position um so we'll look at we'll look ahead for for more basketball recruiting news and when it pops we'll address it here on the podcast but naturally as you'd imagine with michigan coming to town it's time to talk football recruiting and let's dive into it man they got some quarterbacks to talk about um but let's start with the one that just recently picked up an offer uh in the state of pennsylvania and before you introduce him and tell his story a little bit he's a guy that we got familiar with a little on the seven on seven circuit this summer and also, only one Pennsylvania high school quarterback has made the transition to Penn State as a scholarship freshman since 2010. And that is Bo Perbula, who's currently the backup quarterback. And it's not like Penn State's going out and chasing guys every year. There's been very, very selective offers out in, in the last two decades at the quarterback position uh, from Penn State, really. And uh, we, when you see one go out and he's getting to campus this fast, everyone needs to be paying attention here. Yeah, Matt Zollers from Springford High, who was in the midst of a very, very impressive junior season for that program, picks up his Penn State offer, and it's a big one for his recruitment. It is one that he has coveted 
really for a while since he was a frequent visitor to Penn State during the summer. You mentioned the seven-on-seven tournament. He participated in the whiteout camp at the end of June. He was just really impressive throughout. He didn't really have a bad day whenever whenever he was at Penn State. That caught the attention of the Nittany Lions staff, caught the attention of Old Dominion, Old Dominion too, who offered during the middle of the seven-on-seven tournament. That's how impressed that staff was with Matt Zoller. So I, when you have that kind of talent that jumps off in a seven-on-seven seven camp setting, you know, that – garner some intrigue from a program like Penn State, especially being an in-state prospect. They keep an eye on him throughout his junior season, and I already mentioned how good he's been as a junior quarterback for Springford. He's got that program in a pretty good spot right now in the postseason. So it's an impressive arm talent. I think they're definitely – there's a lot of intrigue from Zollers right now. We're expecting him to make it to town this weekend for the Michigan game, and I think that it'll be interesting to see – where exactly things go from here, you know, for, from multiple fronts. First off, I think Zollers is a hell of a, pre- a hell of a prospect. I think this is just the start of high profile offers coming in for him. He had a couple of early power five offers, you know, Pitts involved and his brother is a walk on with Pat, Bern- Pat Narduzzi's program. So that's something to keep an eye on. There are a couple other power fives sniffing around as well. Maryland, you know, Virginia, those kinds of programs are starting to get involved, but I think his ceiling is you know more of that Penn State range, and that's not a knock on those other programs. It's just the reality of what I think he is as a prospect. So I think this is not the last high-profile offer Zollers we're getting. That will be interesting for his recruitment. And you also have to see how that 2025 quarterback board shakes out as well. You know there are a lot of priority, uncommitted priority names still available for the taking for Mike Erickson company, and that board is still coming together. You know where does Zollers fall on that? I think for this offer to go out, it kind of speaks to what the staff thinks of him because he was monitored for such a long period of time after the summer, you know, they kept a really close eye on him early in his junior season, midway, they checked back in on the film and here we are with the offer going out just recently. So, you know, you have to figure that he's definitely going to be in consideration for that 2025 quarterback spot. I don't anticipate this being a multi quarterback class for Penn state. So I think it's really going to come down to one guy. And, you know, we mentioned Zollers making it to campus this weekend. There are going to be a couple other guys in that 2025 quarterback hunt who are going to be in town as well. So it's a good offer for Penn State, in my opinion. I think Zollers is a guy as a program that you want to be involved with because I think he has a pretty high ceiling. I think he can command a Big Ten offense at a pretty high level when his time comes. 32 touchdowns, the three interceptions, I yeah. believe, on the season. Uh, you know, and, and he did some some things with his legs as well along the way. And you referenced it. There's a couple of 2025 quarterbacks. So, you know how quarterbacks are, man. There's usually only one in a class. You get them all yep. on campus together, you can start to get a little bit competitive vibes. Now, I don't know how much they're going to really brush shoulders here in a Pack Beaver Stadium watching Michigan play, but there's something to be said about that, that you've got three at least that, that we're aware of confirmed visitors in the 2025 class at quarterback with offers. We mentioned the new one. Ryan Montgomery's had one for a while now. He's a top 24-7 prospect uh, out of Ohio, uh, a boatload of Power 5 offers. He recently narrowed it down to a, 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 just a few, and Penn State's still part of that discussion. He's heading to campus, and and what do we make of his situation? Because uh, the, the Ohio State, I think a lot of people just figured he'd end up at Ohio State early in his high school career. That hasn't been the path that has developed for him. Um, talk us through where his recruitment is at entering this visit and really the importance of what this opportunity means for Penn State and for the Montgomery family. First time making it to Penn State in a while, so it was definitely notable on that front alone. So this is going to be Montgomery's first time getting back around the staff, and specifically my offensive quarterback, Mike Gertrude, who he has a good relationship with. So he's looking forward to getting back around those Gertz, guys. Gertrude has been out there. Gertrude has been yes. out to Finley, Ohio, but yes. we just haven't seen him get back here in a bit. 
Yeah, those two have not gotten the chance to talk on Penn State grounds in a little bit, but they've definitely been having some frequent contact because he is one of those guys who is a priority in the 2025 class. When it comes to his recruitment, you know, the intel we've received, I'm not really sure this one happens for Penn State. I think definitely think it's encouraging that he's getting back to campus for a visit and getting back to Happy Valley and just taking in everything that comes along with that. But, you know, the buzz that I've received, you know, it, it just points more elsewhere. So I'm not sure this brand that Brad Mandler product is going to wind up with the Nittany Lions, but they're definitely working to make that happen. And this weekend, it, it'll play a big part in maybe determining the direction of that because, you know, it's Michigan. It's a big day. He wants to see how Penn State's offense performs. He wants to see the scheme again up close. And I just, you know, with that 2025 board coming together, Montgomery's up there, but Maybe when it comes to likelihood compared to some of the other 2025 names that we've been discussing, he might be a little bit further down on the list in terms of his interest in Penn State. But we'll see. You know, coming out of the weekend, who knows? Maybe things flip. Yeah, Montgomery's uh, older brother, Luke, was uh, a top 24-7 prospect uh, in, in the last cycle. He ended up going to Ohio State in the home state. Uh, and, and there was a top five as of going into his senior season. I haven't you know, caught up on, on if Luke has, or if Ryan Montgomery has changed that top five, but I know it was Penn State, Georgia, Michigan, Florida, and South Carolina. So now there's been moving parts. This is a domino kind of effect position. So uh, we'll probably hear from Ryan Montgomery. I, I'm sure someone will, will, will catch up with him from within our 24-7 sports network coming out of this visit and hopefully we'll get some kind of intel on what that might mean the other name to get to and this is a familiar one for our listeners i think is malik washington uh he's been to campus a bunch he's camped before he was here for the elite 11 regional when you were up here as well we, we were watching him throw out of archbishop spaulding and maryland rangy six foot four athlete with some serious speed at the quarterback position i would say more of a developmental guy than the last couple quarterbacks we discussed from a pocket presence standpoint but maybe talk me out of that or, or talk me into him being the fit for Penn State. I think he's come along more as a passer throughout his junior season. Penn State staff was actually down to – while they were at Maryland, they were down to see him and his Archbishop Spalding team play last week. So they got eyes on Washington in person for the first time in a little bit. I think he's come along nicely. I, I think his development, his trajectory, I think it's definitely pointing upwards. And that's uh, that speaks to you know the work that he has put in because he started out – when I saw, I saw him in person – his first ever varsity start last season as a sophomore when they played Don Bosco. And he, you could see the athleticism. It, it flashes very clearly. And you could see the raw arm strength as well. But at that point, mechanically, he still had a ways to go. And I, I think if you turn on the tape, mechanically, who he is as a quarterback now compared to where he was as a sophomore, it's kind of night and day. So I think he's, he's a candidate to continue rising through the rankings when you factor in the improvements overall as a passer and then that athleticism. And it really is elite athleticism. He has tested well at every camp he has participated in. He's got that basketball background. He's not just a basketball player. He's playing basketball at a high level on the Nike mm -hmm. EYBL circuit. You know, he's playing for Team Mellow. That's no joke. You got to be a real hooper to get burned for that team. So Washington, you know, overall athlete, he's an elite athlete. There's no doubt about that. Who is he? Who is he as a quarterback? I think we're starting to learn more and more about that, and I could see why Penn State is as interested in Malik Washington as it is, or as he is. It might not be the traditional profile that Penn State goes after in its quarterbacks, but when you factor in the upside that Washington has, it makes the pursuit more than worth it. And not to mention that he's a Maryland kid, so you have that regional factor working in your favor as well. Because word is Washington is not necessarily looking to go too far from home. So that keeps Penn State pretty much in play for the duration, I feel. So this is another big visit because he's high on that quarterback board. Penn State likes a lot of his traits 
and they've been pushing pretty hard for him. And getting back to the to see him in person last weekend, you know, that was something that the staff really wanted to do going down to the DMV area. They got to see him, and now they're going to get him back in state college this weekend. So another really big visit on the quarterback front for Penn State. What do you think? What would you put the percentages at? Because I know the, the message board uh, uh, oh, yeah. questions would love to phrase it that way. What would you put the percentages at uh, that Penn State's 2025 quarterback commit is on campus this Saturday? Man, see, I want to say 50-50 because it's definitely possible a guy like Washington could land in the class, right? It's definitely possible a guy like Zollers could land in the class. It's also possible we have no idea who Penn State's 2025 quarterback is going to be at this point, not even on the radar. There's definitely a chance of that being the case because think about when Ethan Grunkemeyer popped on to things. That happened in the spring. So, you know, the quarterback recruiting process, it's always an ongoing evaluation process. Some guys rise not necessarily late in their recruitments, but later on in the process. So it, it could definitely be possible that Washington or Zollers is a guy who winds up in the class. No doubt about that. It could also be, you know, a guy who hasn't even visited Penn State, might not even be hearing from Penn State right now, who winds up as a 2025 quarterback. So maybe calling it 50-50 is a little bit of a cop-out by me, but <laughs> you, you, listen, you know how I feel about I didn't tell you I was going to ask that question, though. I didn't, I didn't, I mean, I didn't, I didn't give you a heads up. I'm glad you did, though. It's a good question. Be, uh, yeah, it's a good, I, thank you. I appreciate it. We try to ask you <laughs> questions around here. But let's get away from the quarterback <laughs> position. We got a few other names to get to before you let you get back to the work that you got to put in away from this podcast. Uh, Zymir Smith seems to be a legitimate riser out of the state of Maryland in the 2025 cycle. So he's another one of those juniors. The, def the two time defending champs, Georgia, have sniffed around and, and, and sent him a scholarship offer, as has Penn State. He's listed as an athlete. Heck, he doesn't even have a profile picture on 24 7 sports yet. So that's when I know the guy's a riser. What do we need to know about Zymir Smith, who's showing up for, for Saturday's matchup? Well, first of all, he comes from a part of Maryland, the East Shore. It's, you know, it's not Baltimore when it comes to churning out talent. You know, it's not an area that turns out power five talent consistently, but Smith is kind of bucking the trend in that regard. He's got a legit power five offer list at this point. And the one thing that stands out to me about Smith right now is when I got the chance to talk to him post offer and what he had to say about Penn State and his initial thoughts on the program, he was telling me that all of these programs that are jumping in late, and all of these programs that are starting to either offer or express interest, they want him to visit this weekend. And he chose mm -hmm. to visit Penn State. You know, so I think that kind of speaks to the initial level of interest. Now, where do things go from here? Because again, where is he falling on the board? Where is he what's his level of interest in Penn State coming out of the visit? I think he's he's gonna be a guy that we talk about in the secondary moving forward. So I, I think Smith coming out of this visit, the feedback from him is going to be very, very interesting for me. And I'm also interested to see where his development takes him as well, because all these Power 5 programs, they're seeing something. You know, mm -hmm. I, I got to flip on some more film and watch myself, but they're seeing a very apparent upside. These offers will not be coming in otherwise. So Smith's definitely a name to know when it comes to that 2025 recruiting equation, specifically in the secondary. Seems like defense is his future home. Yeah, Penn State's finding him on the upswing here on campus and, and uh, a pretty pretty important visit long-term if he continues to grow like this, his prospect profile is on the rise. Let's finish with this question for you, Tyler. Um, I know you're going to have a bunch of confirmed names, and, and Alan True and Steve Wolfong and Brian Doan are going to be helping with all the heavy lifting with recruiting coverage in the coming days at lines247.com. But tease us with a few. Give our listeners just a few more names here as we say goodbye uh, that you think they need to know about thus far as this list is coming together. 
Yeah, so when we start on the 2025 front, you know, Malachi Goodman from Paramus Catholic in Jersey is an offensive lineman with an offer. That's a pretty intriguing visit to me. You know, North Jersey guy, Paramus Catholic's kind of, you know, starting to come a little bit back more into the relevance in the North Jersey football scene. So that's a that's a decent that's a pretty solid offer. And he's got a good offer list right now. So I think that he might be he might be having Penn State's attention a lot moving forward. 2026, you got a couple of in-state guys. Matt Sieg, safety. From Fort Cherry out McDonald, he recently picked up – well, not recently. Last month picked up an offer. He's really been blowing up on the offer front recently, so he's a prospect to watch. Colson Gatton, the legacy prospect from Pittsburgh Central Catholic, he's going to be back in town. So a lot of intrigue on the under – Larry Moon, the 2027 cornerback, really standout 2027 cornerback from Pittsburgh Central Catholic. I mean, man, he had himself a hell of a freshman season. So things aren't just coming together on that 2025 front. They're coming together on 2026 and 2027 as well. And that speaks to the depth of this weekend's visitors list. So it's going to be an interesting weekend. We're going to have a bunch of names, new names, moving forward. So me and you are going to have a lot to get into moving forward this week. And a name that we didn't even get to, which is the most pressing one in terms of uh, just the timeline, is is Andrew Dennis, uh, yeah. you know, former Michigan State commit, uh, offensive lineman. He will be making an official visit uh, this week. Alan True has some coverage on that. I know you do as well. And then coming out of that experience, you can be sure that we'll have feedback from Dennis on what this might mean for him moving forward. A guy who's been on the, the target list for a long time, spent significant time committed to the Spartans. Things have fallen apart in East Lansing, and he'll be here on Saturday. So uh, a lot to cover in the recruiting territory. We, we threw two sports your way. You handled it great, Tyler. Uh, appreciate this stuff. And, and we'll be following along as these names continue to pile up between now and kickoff. Yep. Thanks for having me back on, man. Like I said, we're going to have a lot more to talk about moving forward this week. Great stuff from Tyler Calvaruso. And then before him, Zach Shaw uh, from the Michigan site within our 24-7 sports network. Uh, just a lot to cover this week. I mean, it's only Tuesday. Maybe it's the early press conference that we started on a Monday, but it feels like this is just a gigantic game week. You're packing in a couple of basketball games and a basketball commitment. And Lions247.com is a really good place to be right now. If you're not following along with us over there, you can join as a VIP subscriber for 30% off an annual subscription or $1 for one month, and you'll get a feel for how we're going to cover basketball along with how we handle our business on the football beat and with recruiting coverage as well. So for now, stepping aside, thanks to everyone for watching or listening. We're back Thursday, and by then, we'll have a better scope of this Penn State squad. We will have been over to the practice field. We will have spoken with a bunch of players, more coaches, and we'll bring it all to you on Thursday along with our final predictions for this matchup. Uh, stepping aside, I'm Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7.